Uh, so we're in a, a series called uh, By the Book, Living in the Light of Scripture. And um, uh, what's motivated this series is a paper that the elders did last year on the authority of Scripture. And it's one of the, the first of a series of papers that we have planned on various subjects, but it was our first one that we wanted to do because it provides the basis upon which how we want to think about any other issues that we wrestle with. I was listening to, uh, Kath and I were listening to a podcast in the last couple of days by uh, someone by the name of Sean McDowell. You might, some of you may recognize that name. Uh, more of you may recognize the name of his father, Josh McDowell, who wrote a book, very, a number of very famous books, More Than a Carpenter, An Evidence Demanded a Verdict, very famous apologist. Well, his son is an is a, is a eminent apologist as well. But he had an interesting story. He had to wrestle with doubts, and, and his faith had to become personal. But he's a very good interviewer, and he, he gets a lot of people that uh, think very, very different. And uh, a number of ones who would fall into what would be called the progressive Christian space. And uh, this, he was interviewing somebody who uh, was an evangelical Christian, would not label themselves in it anymore, and had moved into a place where they would call themselves a progressive Christian, which is a terrible term. It's more like a regressive Christian, to be honest but they call it progressive Christianity. And it was interesting listening to him interview this man, and, and he's very clever in the way that he asks questions. And he, he, you know, this man was describing what he had experienced and the hurt that he'd had in church and why he'd moved away from a number of spaces. And it was quite interesting because he was sort of going, but I'm not driven by the culture, as he continued to describe all these different ways that he was just imbibing what the culture around him was absorbing and just replaying it with a Christian kind of heading on it. And then as it progressed, it became more and more interesting about what he'd thrown away. He no longer saw Christ or Jesus as the Son of God, so he'd thrown away a Trinitarian belief. And then we came to describe, he asked him about, well, how do you understand Scripture? And he goes, well, I still understand Scripture to be inspired. And Sean said, well, what do you mean by inspired? And he basically meant it's inspiring. So I can take what I kind of want out of it. It's not, I don't take it as a whole. I just, I take kind of parts of it. And there's bits of it there that probably aren't exactly written by God. And so we can, we can pick and kind of choose with it. And so as you peel the layers off, what you realize is an abandonment of understanding that the scriptures are given to us as God's word. God breathed through human authors as Nick and Bradley brought to us so clearly in the first three messages in this. So we want to start with this basis. This is what we believe as a church. This is why when we wrestle with any topic, we do it coming to the scriptures, right? Last week, I started describing how, for me, though, I could have an intellectual knowledge growing up that I believed that. I believed the scriptures were God's word, and they were given to us in, in the ways that it was described, but my heart was in another place. My heart was in a space where I was more interested in the things of the world and what my mates were up to. So, so intellectually, I might have adhered to something, but my heart was in a different space. And so that's why we're exploring the parable of the sower. 
Because what is happening here is Jesus is bringing this concept of uh, there's this word, right? Let's re- we'll read it together in Luke 8. Last week we read Matthew 13. And we're seeing how the word of God interacts with the human heart and the human longings to produce what God wants in our lives. Come with me to Luke chapter 8. Let's read it together. And consider what Jesus wants to say to us practically this morning. Okay, here we go. Luke chapter 8, verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And by the way, when we say the, the word, we have this written word here that we call the scriptures, the canon that was given to us, right? This agreed by the, the church fathers and by all sorts of other testimony uh, elements of it that bring to us these scriptures that we understand to be the word of God. But this word of God is telling us about what is reality that sits in behind it. There's a, there's, a, there's a creator God. There's a king who sits in behind the universe, who brings it into being, who came into our world in human flesh, who lived a sinless life, right? It's describing to us a story. So we, we, we read this, but as we'll talk about as we go through, it's to reveal to us what reality is. So the word here that it's talking about, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, is, is this here, the scriptures, but it's describing to us something greater. I didn't explain that very well, but hopefully I'll clear it up a little bit more when I give you a couple of illustrations about it. The twelve were with him, and also some woman who had been cured, cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chaza, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told them this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. No rice this week. Took us half the week to get the rice vacuumed up off the floor. So no more rice. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still others fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that those seeing they may not see, they hearing they may not understand. Now, last week we saw in Matthew 13, there's an extended part of that, this prophecy or element out of Isaiah 6, that says in these parables, those who get it, it's very fruitful for them and gains them understanding. But those who don't, it's a blinding thing that happens. But when it does get it, it means that God comes and heals and restores. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God, the message of God, the message of God's kingdom is the context of what it's saying here. That God, Jesus is the king who has come to restore his reign, to bring healing and forgiveness and wholeness and beauty 
and reconciliation, all the beautiful things that we have in this gospel. This is the seed. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So the message is snatched, right? It's taken away. It has no chance to grow. We talked last week about how this is a diagnostic thing, isn't it? Do you see people around who hear it and it's just like straight through to the keeper, to use a cricket analogy? It's nothing there. It's meaningless to them. They're not interested in it at all, right? We see this a lot, don't we? Perhaps ever increasing. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. And this is this idea that there's a bit of growth, but then the sun comes up and scorches the plant. So the word could be snatched, but it also could be heard with a little bit of growth. But then some sort of testing comes along. Something comes along that puts some degree of pressure on that message. It has no root. Scorched. Do we see that happening? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're meant to have deep roots that can help us when challenges come to our faith. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. This is a tricky one to hear in the church, isn't it? They're saying there's something here that means it grows up alongside the good growth and means that it doesn't come to the place where it can bear fruit. People who know the gospel, who could, who could intellectually tell you all about it, who maybe could tell you lots about how Christians should live and how the church should, but when you look at their life, are they maturing? Is there fruit? And by the way, the, the church has always understood this from Jesus' teaching that there's two ways that we understand how we are maturing as a Christian. Or well, three. No, I'm going to go three. The first one is this, is that you have a desire in your heart to know the message of God. I, I really think that's the first point. Of, there's something that switches in you. There's a desire that changes. Last week I shared how that happened to me when I was 19 years of age after my first year at university. I just, suddenly the scriptures came alive to me. I started reading things and I saw them in a way that I'd never seen before. I saw a beauty there that just captured my imagination. But there's two other places where we see this maturity place take place. The first one is an internal change. There's a change in your character there's a change in the things and the longings of your heart. There's a fruit that comes about. We have did the fruit of the Spirit last year. There's a classic way of understanding it. There's a change in my character. There's a change in the things that I love and long for. And the third one is there's an external change. 
there's a change that I see how life operates and I move away from the longing, looking for the things of the world, life's worries, riches and pleasures, and I move into a life of loving service. You cannot read scripture and miss that, right? Jesus says it, 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 it's what Jesus came and how he operated. I came not to be served, but to serve. He expected that of us. And so we have this tool where we can look at ourselves. Do you have a desire in your heart for the message of the kingdom? Do you have not a perfection, but a maturing in your character? Do you have in you a, a growth that is given in a life of, of, of giving service? They're challenging questions for us, but they're important questions because they show where the growth is, is occurring. And the last one is this. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Now, there's two reasons we've done uh, Luke 8 this week. The first one is this, is those of you with children, this is the memory verse your children are learning. And Karen has challenged us as adults that we are now learning it too. And on November 13th, we're going to do a bit of a different service after the parable of the soils is finished for the kids. It's the week after that. We're going to uh, have a bit of a different, different morning that morning. And one of the things is we're going to have a little challenge with the kids around this verse. I challenge you not just to learn the verse. I challenge you to learn the passage. <laughs> Here we go. Just putting that out there. But the other element is this verse adds something that Matthew doesn't quite have. Matthew describes the, the, the quantity, you know, 30, 60, 100 times. It's talking about this miraculous fruit that is developed in it. Here, Luke tells us more about the internal thing that is happening. You see, it's a really good word, the seed that wants to sit and live in you and grow and mature and develop and produce a fruit. So it's a very capable seed of doing that. The only way, though, that that seed will produce that fruit is what? If it's in good soil. And what's the good soil? Your heart. A good and noble heart that hears the word. I heard a quote recently. Most people, most of the time, listen with the intent to reply rather than the intent to listen and hear. Just think about that for a moment. So when you're in a conversation, you're listening to what the other person is saying, but, but your intent is just to reply or go back or, or, or challenge, or what, however you sort of work. It's very rare for us to actually stop and really properly listen to what somebody is saying and respond to it. This is what Jesus is getting at. The heart of this is about listening and hearing, comprehending and understanding in a way. Hearing it, retaining it, and by persevering, the crop is produced. That's how deep roots are put down. It's not rocket science, this. But I tell you what, um, 
biblical literacy or just generally reading God's word is falling away. And not just in our wider society, but in our own Christian community. I shared a story last week of speaking with a, a guy by the name of Bill Cilio, and he, one of the things he does in his messages is he'll start a verse and let the people in the, in the community finish it. And what he, he noticed was, is over the last 40 years, he said, 40 years ago, most people in, in the communities that he would operate in could finish verses once he'd started them off. We were at a, a family camp, and at that particular camp, hardly anyone could finish the verses as he was starting, or only a speckling of people. I say, I'm not equating just intellectual memorizing of Scripture with kind of a knowledge of how things are meant to operate in your, in your existence, but I think there is a connection there with it. And, and we can listen to a lot of podcasts, and we can listen to a lot of sermons, and sometimes we can read books and bits and pieces, but something that's really on my heart more and more is the simplicity of just reading Scripture reading scripture together, I would say reading scripture out loud because this book, before it was written down, is primarily an oral book. This is, this is Jesus' spoken word, right? It's recorded for us, so it comes through to us, but it was primarily, even Paul's letters, he wrote them so that they would stand up in church and read them to the people. So I think that they meant to be they're meant to be spoken and, and discussed and talked about, and I'll talk in a, in a minute about one of the ways that I'd love to encourage it. The other way that I, I think that it's really important is that we, we think about how the, the, the word operates and what the Bible is meant to be doing. So Ken Robinson, um, he's passed away now, but he, he had a TED talk that was very famous. It was, for a very long time, it was the most well-watched TED talk. I, I think it's been surpassed now. But it was something along the lines of, um, do schools kill creativity? And it's a, it's, a really, it's a really good watch. It's really interesting. He's English, and, and so I can't make a comment in regards to schooling in New Zealand or anything like that. But one of the, things, the, one of the points that he made was this. He said, schools and academic institutions and the way they're set up are very well set up if your ultimate goal is to become a professor at university. He said, for a lot of other people who, often the masses, school is, is not quite as useful in that sort of space. And is often made, you're made to feel in a particular way like it's not kind of for you or you're looking forward to finishing up school so you can get into the real things of what you want to go about, right? And he was challenging, I think, the, the idea in that space of how you do it in a, in a way that schools become institutions of learning and a love of learning and a, a desire for things. It made me think about churches. And if, if it sounds like I'm criti critiquing people who go to seminaries and universities and theologians, I am not in any way, shape, or form. I just love people who are capable of unpacking and helping us to see the Scriptures. We need them, right? We need them desperately, right? But what we also need, perhaps even more so, is everybody in the church reading the Scriptures and having an understanding, and having a desire and love to hear the word and retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. 
I remember we, before I, I was a pastor, I was a veterinarian, and I, I remember when I was at university training and we'd got to our fifth year. And uh, the vet course is, is, should be a seven-year course. It's, it's really overloaded, and we, everybody was just had enough of, of, uh, of university by the time you've been there for five years. And um, it was near the end of the year, and one of our, um, uh, our, our main guys came in. He was uh, Grant Guilford. He was associate professor at that stage. Very clever, clever guy. Went on to become the vice chancellor of Victoria University. And he came in, and he um, gave us a lecture and he was starting off this lecture, it was about um, chemotherapy and companion animals, not that it's important, but he started off and he said, um, this won't be in the exams. Now what happened next was very fascinating. Do you know what happened? Everybody went, oh, like it was an audible, oh, what are we doing here? Why are we in this lecture when it's not in the exams? That's the whole point of university. You, you study some stuff, you pass an exam, you get a piece of paper, and away you go. And I remember seeing his face, and he got angry, and he gave us a right telling off. And he was bang on. This is what he said. He said, in a few months you are going to leave this university and you are going to need every little bit of knowledge that you need to survive in that world. You've got to stop getting over this idea that you're passing some little exam. You're going to go into reality and you need to start thinking in that way about it. And he was bang on. Because when I got out, they gave me a car. I would drive out to a farm of a grumpy old farmer, and he could care less what my grades were. He wanted to know if this uh, little, fresh-faced kid who couldn't even grow a beard could fix his crook cow. Right? Sometimes I think what we do is we don't, we look at scripture in a way almost like it's to pass an exam or get a ticket or to say, I'm okay. I've ticked the box of being born again. I've had my kind of forgiveness sort of done. I'm, I'm all right. I, I needed not keep going with a little bit of sort of knowledge, but it's sort of on an intellectual kind of level rather than seeing this book is your life. This book is taking you into a space where you are knowing how you are meant to be and how you are meant to live. Let me give you a verse from Jesus. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I can't tell you how many times I have heard verse 32 in the last two years of everybody who goes, I know what the truth is and I can tell you this new kind of truth and they forget verse 31. Let me ask you a couple of questions. What are you getting set free from? What are you being set free to? How do you go about being set free. He tells you, 
abiding, living, dwelling, staying in the word. When you do that, the truth that you are absorbing in here from the scriptures tells you what you should be like and how you should live. And he says, when you get that and you start to live it as a, as a daily reality in your life, it's called freedom. Not freedom as the world tells you it is, where you can just choose whatever you like and think you're amazing, but freedom in living in the reality of how you were, you were made to be. But you don't just get it. You do it by doing the work, hearing the word, retaining it, and by persevering. Um, we're going to do an exercise in the elective for those who would like to come along. This is something that um, I've started to use a lot um, just in helping people because one of the things, the big things I think for a lot of people these days is they read scripture and you, you, you don't know how to start. You read it, it's confusing. You're not sure where to, sort of, where to sort of go with it. You think like you need to be an expert with it. So this is something we use. We're going to do this and this. It's called the Swedish method. It's just a, I put a passage on one side of the paper like that, and then we have a way of just reading the passage, making observations, asking good questions of it, right? And so we use that to start getting people into the text, not rushing to, um, uh, you know, books that will tell you about how you should understand it. We just start by staying in the text. And then we use this as something, uh, this is a book, uh, it's called Dig and Discover Principles. Um, if you come to the elective, I'll give you one of these. There you go, there's an incentive. Um, but the, it has eight principles that it uses to help you stay focused on the word. But what I love about this, about how they operate, is all of, they use all of these to go after what they call the transformational intent of the scripture. What they mean by that is, this book was given to us with an intent of the ultimate author that sit behind it, sits behind it, and that is to transform us, to transform how I think, what I long for, how I act. And so they use these principles, all of them, to go after what they call the transformational intent that sits and lives with that passage. We'll, um, we'll, we'll go over that a little bit more next week with it. So we do this in our Thursday night group. It's essentially, we just take a passage, um, the, and then we, we ultimately come up with a main idea. These are the ones we used from the, from the Thursday night with it. Sean McDowell, who I introduced at the start of the um, message, he went through a significant period of doubt in his faith, which is kind of awkward when your dad is probably the most well-known apologist on the planet, right? And he was a bit unsure about going to his dad. He, he was in first year, first couple of years of university, and there was, and they were significant doubts that he was kind of having with it. And he goes to his dad, and um, he's not sure how his dad's going to. But his dad responds very well. His dad says, "Well, Sean, that's really good. You need to have a faith that is your own. You can't inherit it from me. It's not something that is passed down. It's something that." You have to. He said, son, you've got to follow the truth. 
You can't just live on my beliefs. You have to follow what you think is real and I love you no matter what. But he just said this, don't rebel against what you've learned because you're hurt or angry. I see that a lot. Only reject it if you're convinced that it's not true. Now why I share that is, I think a lot of the time that we're, we're just not spending enough time in the scriptures to actually understand what we are talking about. And particularly for our young people, they're coming up against a significant elements that are pushing against the faith in our culture. It's a stronger influence and war that's going on than, than probably there's ever been. And what they need to be is versed in the scriptures, not by somebody telling them all the time what it is, although that is useful, but by being immersed in it. And we're only going to do that if we, all of us, model that in our lives. Do, do they see that? in our families, do they see that in the groups that we're part of? Do we see that when we come here? That's why we open up the scriptures from the pulpit here. This is the place by which we go. And so I just leave you with a challenge. All of us, no matter what stage you are in your Christian faith, you have a challenge from today. How is it that you in your life, in the practices that you have, how are you a good soil? How are you hearing God's word? How are you retaining it? How are you persevering so that that word will produce a good crop? Let me pray and then we're going to sing a song to close. <clears throat> Father, thank you for this word, the word of truth that can set us free the word of truth that can come into our hearts, change us inside and out, and produce a fruit, a crop in us that is a beautiful crop that changes us into the way that we are meant to be, the way that we are meant to live. Father, I just pray for everybody here in this room. I pray that you would challenge us to think about how we are using the scriptures to shape how we think. Would you challenge us in our daily, our weekly, our monthly schedules? How are we carving out time to make sure that we are spending time in your word with an intent to hear what you have to say to us, not with some sort of intent that just backs up how we already live, but to really change us to change us into the people you would have us to be. Father, thank you that that word is good and will produce a crop in us, but would you help us to have the hearts that are good soil for that to take place? We ask this in your precious and beautiful name. Amen.